Good morning. This is Jake Brown, and I'm the preacher at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m., and you can find us at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. Again, that's 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. If you're familiar with the area, we're just 2.2 miles north of the old Jefferson Proving Ground entrance right there on Highway 421. I want you to know this morning that that we would love to have you come join us in person Sundays at 1030. We love to meet new people and we love to make ourselves available to help others learn the true story of who Jesus is, what he did, why he did it, and how to personally get in on the story. This morning as you're listening, I encourage you to follow along in your Bible if you're able. I encourage you to take notes if you can. Try to write down the main points that you catch from today's message. Write down the Bible references you hear so that you can read over them again later. And be sure to jot down anything else that you hear this morning that you think is important or might be something that you'd like to study further. Well, it's just about time for the sermon to start, so turn up the volume, tune out the distractions, and it's my prayer that you find this morning's message engaging and meaningful. This is going to hurt. It's a common phrase before the band-aid is ripped off, before the bad news is delivered, before the fight starts, before the car crashes, before the shot is given or the blood is drawn, before someone does something really stupid, before you do something really stupid. The list goes on and on. But what about before the persecution comes? We feel it's our duty to point out the obvious, you know, right before the pain of the adhesive on the Band-Aid pulls the already sensitive skin around a fresh cut or scrape. We feel it's our duty to point out the obvious right before somebody swings their fist at somebody else's face. We feel it's our duty to point out the obvious just before a needle breaks the skin and enters the body. We feel it's our duty to point out the obvious just before the car hits the wall. This is going to hurt. Who's warning the church? The church has always had to endure pain. Satan has always used men and women to create trouble for the church, to try to shut us up, shut us down, damage our reputation, create fear, doubt, and hesitation. However, here in the U.S., we've not experienced persecution like what the church has faced in other parts of the world and in other parts of history. But we are likely in that moment, right before the major persecution comes knocking on our door. We are likely entering into the portion of history where Christians in America are forced to get off the fence and choose a side for real. Like the car heading for the wall, the needle heading for the skin, or the fist heading for the face, it's high time to point out the obvious and tell the church, this is going to hurt. The major question that you need to be focused on answering honestly today is a simple one. Are you ready? I want to read a passage of scripture that has some ups and downs, some highs and lows, some pain and some relief. And then I want to break this down in such a way that you can see how this is a picture of how life goes for a Christian. If we're truly obeying the gospel on a daily basis, there's going to be some pain and some pleasure. There's going to be some parts that hurt, but the Lord is always going to be there with us and providing for us when we're faithful to him. So turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and I want to read 
uh, from verse 12 through to the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12 and reading through the rest of the chapter. Scripture says here, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more, believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. But the high priest rose up, along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them into a public jail. But during the night... An angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go, stand, and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, They flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus 
and then release them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. All right, so <laughs> that was all a, a bit of a roller coaster ride, to say the least. We saw Christians flying high. We saw Christians quickly and violently being brought low. Uh, we definitely saw a number of wins, and we also saw what some might see as losses. In verses 12 through 16, all seems to be going along pretty well. The apostles are well-respected. Everyone seems to be on the same page. Multitudes of men and women were believing in the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Scripture says constantly more and more believers were being added to their number. At this time, even outsiders and, and hypocrites respect the church and its leaders. They don't dare associate with them, probably because they heard about what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, but they held them in high esteem. The power in the church, the power in the Jesus movement, the power of the apostles' leadership, it was so evident that people started bringing their sick out into the streets and laying them on blankets and beds so that maybe, just maybe, Peter's shadow might pass over them and they might be healed. And it worked. The end of verse 16 says that people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits were all being healed. God was confirming his message here. He was confirming his message and his messengers at this time through powerful, miraculous signs. These were signs. The fact that these miracles were happening proved something. God had a purpose for these miracles. But then we come to verse 17. Up to this point, so much good had been happening. There was a lot that we might celebrate. There was a lot to be excited about. Perhaps it would have been helpful if someone had shouted between verses 16 and 17, this is going to hurt. Because after all these wonderful people responded obediently to the wonderful words of life, some were offended by that. The high priest and his associates, the Sadducees, were deeply disturbed by all this resurrection teaching. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were deeply offended by the fact that a group of people were teaching something to be true, which they believed to be false. Their pride was hurt, and, and they at least felt as though their power and authority were being threatened. And so as verse 17 says, they were filled with jealousy. And so we come to our first lesson, and that's this. Zealous makes jealous. <laughs> if the apostles had been spiritually lazy, no one would have been the least bit jealous. If the apostles had been concerned about their own personal comfort and safety, no one would have been the least bit jealous. But because the apostles were zealously preaching and teaching the resurrection of Jesus, religious leaders were filled with jealousy. Zealous makes jealous. Verse 18 says these uh, jealous Sadducees had the apostles taken into custody violently. And then they threw them into a public jail, like common criminals, right? They were, they were thrown in there with robbers and murderers. Church, it's our duty to point out the obvious. We're coming to the point where if we serve the Lord faithfully and zealously preach and teach the resurrection of Jesus, authorities are going to be filled with jealousy, and they are going to violently oppose us. This is going to hurt. The question is, are we ready? Are Christians ready? Is the church here at Liberty ready? 
To answer that question, you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I ready? This is going to hurt. Are you ready? In verses 19 through 21, we see that an angel of the Lord was sent to set the apostles free. This angel told them to go right back to doing exactly what they had been doing. And these guys did exactly as they were told to do. As we come to grips with the fact that real persecution is knocking at our door, it's, it's good to know that the Lord is with those who are with the Lord. That's our second lesson. The Lord is with those who are with the Lord. You see, the fact that an angel of the Lord opened the gates of this prison and said, go right back to that same temple and preach that same message you were preaching, it shows that the Lord is with them. He's providing for them, and he's approving what they're doing. When you are, quote, with the Lord, right, when you're in step with him, when you're doing his will, walking by the Spirit, serving his purpose, preaching and teaching resurrection in him, he provides and he makes a way for you to continue to do so. Persecution is coming. Some of us may even see jail time in our lifetime because of our faith in the resurrection of Jesus. And it should be comforting and encouraging to know that the Lord is going to be with us. The Lord is with those who are with him. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He said he'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. This is going to hurt, but the Lord is with us. Are you ready? Now, after the apostles returned to the temple and started teaching and preaching again, the high priest and his associates gathered the council together along with the elders and they called for their prisoners. They called for them because they thought the apostles were still in jail where they had last left them. Well, they couldn't find them at first, of course. Everything was locked up, securely guarded, and the apostles just weren't there. And then along comes a tattletale. Someone who obviously knew that the apostles had been thrown in jail and weren't supposed to be out there doing what they were doing. Someone who knew they were thrown into jail uh, for preaching and teaching and now sees that they're back out preaching and teaching. Someone who knew these things and saw these things came and reported to the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests that the apostles were doing it again, right? Mom, they're doing it again. Tattletale. So in short order, the apostles are rounded up again, this time without violence, because the apostles were the popular ones among the people. The Jewish enforcers were the unpopular and now fearful ones. They were afraid that these would-be converts to Christ might stone them to death. Well, they're brought before the council again and strictly scolded. Verse 28, uh, the high priest says, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. Now, it's the next part of the scolding uh, where we get our, our, our next lesson. When you're an active Christian, serving him faithfully, proclaiming his word, uh, serving his world, spreading the seed of his salvation, this always happens. Doers earn accusers. Doers earn accusers. And the apostles weren't getting yelled at because they went to church on Sunday. The apostles weren't being threatened because they listened to Christian music. And the apostles were, weren't being berated because they owned a Bible. They were in this predicament because they were doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Doers earn accusers. If you're doing what the Lord has commanded, you're going to earn some accusers. Look at what they were accused of as we continue in verse 28. You have filled Jerusalem he says, with your teaching, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. 
Now, this isn't bad or, or untrue. This is actually a badge of honor. The apostles weren't being accused of any crime. They were, they were being accused of filling the entire city with the hope of eternal life through the Son of God. Oh, and as for the high priest's slanted accusation about the apostles intending to place the guilt of Jesus on them, I do recall Pilate saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. So it's kind of hard to argue that one. (laughs) Nevertheless, the faithful work that the apostles were doing earned them accusers. What good could you be accused of doing for the cause of Christ? We've all heard the challenge. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's not a bad challenge. Are we doers like the apostles? If we're honest, is there any reasonable concern that someone might accuse us of filling our cities with a message of resurrection? If not, why not? Of course, in response to these accusations, Peter and the apostles doubled down, and they explained to their accusers that they had to obey God rather than men, the same God who raised up Jesus, the same Jesus whom you guys crucified, whom God exalted to his right hand, the Jesus who was sent by God to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we read in verse 33 that when they heard this, when the high priests and the Sadducees, when the council, the elders, when they all heard this, They were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. Lesson number four, some can't handle the truth. Some can't handle the truth. The truth coming out of the mouths of these apostles was beyond the Sadducees' ability to handle. The truth of Jesus' resurrection and the truth of their guiltiness for his crucifixion was something that they couldn't handle. They were ready to lash out like the snakes they were and kill these truth talkers. In the very near future, we might encounter some of these guys. So I'll say it again. This is going to hurt. Now, here's how the rest of the story went. Gamaliel sent the apostles outside and then explained to the council how they ought to just let these guys go. If, if they're a, you know, a bunch of lunatics, we've seen this show before, he says, basically. And we know that this movement will die out in due time. But, he says, if this movement is from God, you can't defeat it. So basically, why risk a riot if these lunatics are just going to fizzle out anyway? And why fight this battle if it's God's plan and you'll never win? Well, verse 40 says says they took his advice, but we quickly learned that taking his advice only prevented them from killing the apostles like they were wanting to. They still flogged them. They still uh, threatened them. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, the rest of verse 40 tells us. So they still publicly whipped these guys, likely with 39 lashes that ripped the skin right off their backs, their arms, their stomachs, their legs. Some can't handle the truth. And if we're out there faithfully, consistently proclaiming the truth to the world around us, it's very likely that we're going to see some of these guys in the near future. This is going to hurt. The question we're still hoping to answer is, are you ready? Church, these apostles are going to be nursing some very serious wounds, some very intense lacerations for weeks and months. Trying to lay down and go to sleep that night was going to be a horrendously painful endeavor. Taking a bath, working, bending over, reaching, uh, hugging your children. These things were going to be unbearably painful for months probably. And the scars were going to be huge 
and lasting. Walking away from a public whipping like this because you preached the resurrection and got caught, what kind of thoughts do you suppose are going to be swirling through your mind? Verse 41 says, They went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Our fifth and final lesson, unashamed to suffer for his name. You know, I'm tired of saying or tired of asking, I wonder, will we be ready? Will we be ready? If things come to this point, will we be ready? I think I'd rather say, brother, sister, let's get ready. Let's get ready. I can't see the future, but I can see the writing on the wall. I can see that persecution, similar to what the first century Christians faced, is probably coming to America pretty soon. The apostles, aching and bloodied from their beating, went on their way rejoicing because they saw being shamed by men as being honored by God. They saw this episode as God approving their actions and counting them worthy by allowing them to suffer for his son. Now, no one in their right mind wants to suffer for no good reason, but to suffer for the name of Christ, that's worth every second that you have to endure it. Paul said it well in 2 Corinthians four seventeen. He said, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. We can't be ashamed or afraid to suffer for Christ. Right now, and even when the persecution comes, we need to follow the example of the apostles in verse 42. It says, Every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. I'm not going to promise that it's going to be comfortable. Instead, I strongly believe I'd be better suited to try to mentally prepare us all by stating the obvious, this is going to hurt. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's go preach and teach Jesus as the Christ because it's worth it. Heaven is waiting. The Lord is there. Are you ready? As we finish things up here this morning, I'd like to ask those of you listening on the radio right now the most important question that any of us could ever be asked. It's a question that each and every single one of us needs to be able to answer honestly. Here's the question. If the Lord were to return today, do you know for sure, no doubts whatsoever, that you would go to live with him forever? Do you know for certain that he's going to let you into heaven? Can a person even know? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the Apostle John writes that we can know. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's good news. I want to know that I have eternal life. Now, let's back up just a little bit, and I want to show you a reality that's in the Scriptures that we need to deal with. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-9, through 9, Scripture says there's coming a day 
when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Who did this passage of scripture say was going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction? Well, there are two groups listed. Number one, those who do not know God. And secondly, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, maybe you know God. I hope you do. But let me ask you this. Have you obeyed the gospel? Before you answer that, let's make sure we know what the gospel is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But what is it? What is the gospel? We know what it does. We know uh, the power that it holds. But what is the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the Bible interprets itself here. The, the Apostle Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So, there are three main statements that make up the gospel. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day. The Bible teaches us that his death paid the price for our sin, and his resurrection made eternal life possible for us. So now that we understand what the gospel is, let's get back to our question, how do we obey the gospel? I want to read Romans chapter 6, just verses 3 and 4 for you, and I want you to listen and see if you can hear all three parts of the gospel being played out here, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Did you catch that? Did, did you find the three parts of the gospel there? When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are baptized into Christ's death. When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are buried with Christ. And finally, when we are baptized, we are raised up as Christ was raised from the dead so that we too will walk in newness of life. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, please know that we would love to talk with you about your situation. We would love to answer any questions you have. We would appreciate the opportunity to discuss with you the costs of following Christ. If you're interested, keep listening, and we'll tell you how you can get in touch with us in just a moment.
I'm Jake Brown, and on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you're in the area, I want to encourage you to join us in person at Liberty Christian Church at one of our Sunday services. We meet at 1030 a.m., again, 1030 each and every Sunday morning at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. That's 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, just call 812-273-1518. That's 812-273-1518. Or you can send us a message directly from our website, wwwliberty Christian.com. But again, we'd love to have you join us in person if you're physically able to do so. Jesus created his church as a body of people. His church is a family made up of sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have been called to meet together regularly. The pattern that we see from the church in the Bible is that they met every Sunday. So if you're able, Come meet with us next Sunday right here at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We love you, God loves you, and it is our prayer that he will bless you this week as you seek his truth.